God could have chosen anywhere on earth, but he chose Israel. He could have revealed his redemption anywhere. He chose Jerusalem. The house of the Lord might have been any place on earth. He chose Mount Moriah. Past, present, and future, the mountain of the Lord has been a beacon of hope and remains a strategic site for the next temple of God. Dateline Jerusalem, the coming temple. Thank you for joining us on today's program. It's all about music. I think Kirsten and I kind of relate a little bit about the music. I want to know yeah. about you guys. Are you musicians at all? Uh, we ha actually have some music background, but what I yeah. found so interesting about today was it was going to be the first time we talk about worship with no barbecue involved. So <laughs> yes. I, I think this Our is super exciting for y'all. You finally get We can sit back a little bit. <laughs> That's right. I find it interesting, David, your namesake was instrumental. Okay, I did that. I'm that sorry. That was good. In bringing musical instruments into worship in First Chronicles 15 and 16 is when he literally set up this whole worship assembly. He brought the Ark of the Covenant into Yerushalayim and set up what was called the Tabernacle of David. It was a different tent from the original tabernacle and he would worship God there and there's thousands of musical instruments and you see like Asaph the seer he was a musician he had music playing when he prophesied most prophets in the Old Testament they sang their prophecies they had harpists mm. and minstrels that played as they prophesied the word of the Lord to really get into the heart you know some people can't stand a little worship band we're talking thousands of worshipers yes. thousands awesome. of people on instruments it's gonna be a good program Today's program is all about music. You're going to hear about the harp, but right now we take you to a shofar maker. Robert Winger is known in Israel as the shofar man. He's been producing beautiful shofars for 15 years and owns and operates a shofar center within the shadow of the ancient town of Jericho. His visitor center and shop is stocked with hundreds of shofars in every shape, fashioned from the horns of numerous animals throughout the Middle East. He tells us how it all started. Well, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm the offspring of first-generation post-Holocaust traditional Jewish-American family, and I was raised in the synagogue. I went through and had my bar mitzvah. I, I really resented Hebrew school because I was a very great athlete, and I was precluded from playing after-school sports and Little League Baseball because of that. Somehow, through osmosis, I was the first chair trumpet in the junior high school band for two years. My mother stood over me for, uh, you know, for half an hour every morning to make sure I practiced my trumpet. My father wasn't a real religious man, but he had a real heart for Israel, and he was a, a Renaissance man. He, he was a tradesman, but also artistic, and his, uh, his, basically his gift to me, unknowingly, in 1972, he painted this painting behind me called The Great Shofar, and it represents the generations of Jews rising out of the ashes of the Holocaust, the hands of the five books of Moses, the Torah, the rebirth of Israel and strength and victory and the shofar, the Giulah, the shofar of redemption, the shofar that we're going to hear when Messiah arrives. I ended up, through no effort of my own, through a series of mergers and acquisitions, I ended up landing a job with Gatorade for seven years in sports marketing. So as an adult, I got to experience all those things. And when I, I worked for Gatorade for seven years, and I was on the team that developed Monster Energy Drink. You know, even with the 22-year career in the food and beverage industry, I always felt like the Peter Principle. I always felt like... I had reached my level of incompetency, and I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I never thought I was really doing good enough or I was good as people may have thought or whatever. And I was living at the time for 31 years at Mount Diablo at Devil Mountain, 
And uh, after deciding to leave um, Monster, I ended up hiking Mount Diablo four to six times a week. And one day I had this burning bush experience, brought me to my knees and it reset my life course. And it brought me from Mount Diablo, the highest place in the East Bay of San Francisco in the world, to the lowest place on earth here at Beit Hoglat, the Dead Sea where it meets the Jordan River, but the highest place spiritually. I came to Israel in, in 2008 on a, on a tour. I was one of 18 on Mount Bental on the Golan Heights, and somebody handed me a Yemenite shofar like this. this is a horn of a greater kudu antelope from Africa. They purchased it at a souvenir stand the day before, and they said, could you hold this while I go to the Shiro team to the bathroom? And I said, sure, why not? And I took it. After all, I was the first chair trumpet, like I said, in the junior high school band. I put it to my lips, and out came the Israeli Defense Force wake-up call. I knew there was 15 Israelis surrounding me with flashbulbs going off and cheers and applause and there was a 5.3 earthquake and I got given the gift to sound the shofar and I went all over Israel sounding the shofar and the tour left and I stayed for two weeks and got trained and developed in spiritual warfare at the hand of Hashem. And so this is the one that's the greater kudu, this is more melodic, but the traditional uh, shofar is the ram's horn. A shofar can be off of any kosher animal, any animal that chews its cud and uh, has a split hoof can be considered a shofar. There's only one of those animals that is precluded from being coming a shofar, and that's the domestic cow because of the golden calf. So the only time you can use a cow horn as a shofar, and I happen to have one up there in the top left, um, it's only if there's no other shofar available you can use a cow's horn. But other than that, because of the golden calf, no. But this is a traditional ram's horn, and the differences in the sound, the shofar, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's, it's a call, a cry of teshuva, it's a, it's a turning back to God, it's a cry of repentance, it's a travail, it's a cry of anguish. So it sounds um, like a, a, a dying cow almost. But there's a, a special uh, series of trope of sounds that come out of it. And so, uh, that's the, the cry of repentance. The shofar is a wake-up call. It's a call to arms and alarm. It's a, a shout of praise. It's a, a cry of repentance, like I said. It's the sound of jubilee that sets the captives free. It's a cry of victory. It's a call to, to, uh, to, to war. It's a call to battle. And it's, uh, most importantly, it's the, it's the sound of the coronation of the king that we're gonna hear when Messiah arrives. Wherever Robert goes, his shofar goes. Whether it's in Jerusalem's busy marketplace or atop the Mount of Olives, he's happy to sound what he calls the prophetic instrument of God. You know, the, the making of a shofar is a, a very tedious and long process. It's not, uh, you know, a lot of people try to buy the, the shofar by the price. In, in Israel, they sell them by the size of it's this big, it's this much, if it's this big, it's this much more, and if it's this big, it's the most. But what I've discovered is not every, not all shofars are, are equal, and so I actually go to the factories of the founding family of shofar here in Israel, and I test a thousand of them to find 50 that have the sound of heaven. But how they're made, it, you, the, the, the horn is like, um, the outside of the horn is like gelatinous material, it's like a fingernail, but inside is a bone, and so when the animal is slaughtered or it dies, um, um, 
or it's used for, uh, for food, um, you know, the, the horns don't grow back, okay? So it's, it's actually at, at the death of the animal. Um, and a shofar, a kosher shofar can only be from a slaughtered animal that was, is a, was alive. It can't be from an animal that died on its own. You can't, um, and so uh, inside is this bone. You boil it for three to five hours until the tendons and tissues all come out and, and, and the bone gets removed, something like this. I have a couple samples of uh, the big bone that comes out of the, the kudu. And, um, and then you have to, you're gonna have to cut off the tip you're gonna have to straighten it by fire sometimes to, so that you can get a drill in there to open up the, the, the hole. And then um, it gets sanded and polished and sometimes accessorized or, or, or uh, engraved or painted or you know, whatever you do, whatever we're doing these days. But you know, I've been walking in this for, uh, for 15 years. So on, on February 15th of this year was my 15th anniversary uh, of the birth of Shofar So Great. And, um, and I've been, like I said, trained and developed at the hand of God, and it's been a, it's been a long process. And even even the sound that I make out of my shofar is not the same as I made, you know, 15 years ago. And so I, I keep seem to be getting these promotions in the in the spiritual realm, so to speak. And I I have the experience of being the uh, the spiritual Forrest Gump. I just you know, it's like every day I wake up, and it's like and Forrest Gump says, life's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. So each day I really never know what I'm going to get. And I just, uh, I make myself available. Um, I really had no idea that, you know, we were going to be here doing this until last night <laughs> I got the call. So, um, it, it, and, and I've ended up, uh, I've ended up in so many places so high in Washington, D.C., at the White House and all these kind of things. It could only be him. It's, it's allowing for that to happen. And so I feel very honored and privileged as to, to be this Israeli shofar ambassador. Um, I've been dubbed by the former chief rabbi of the state of Israel as the, the greatest shofar sounder in the world. I don't necessarily believe that. I think there's many others that do uh, as well or greater, but you know, I have, you know, I, I've kept the moniker and it's, it's really gave me a lot of credibility to be able to do what I do. And I've traveled all around the world. I have the honor and privilege of being a, a sent one. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, you know, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Hanani, here am I. Send me. And I, I end up going all around the world, going into these places, sounding my shofar. I, 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 I'm, of course, it's going to be the, the it's going to be the music of the uh, the Beit Hamikdash, and and I believe that this music is just as important as the red heifers to the restoration of all things. I think about a trumpet, a shofar, Yom Teruah always comes to mind, you know, the feast of trumpets, the rapture. But most people don't know that Lucifer himself was the leader of the choirs of heaven. Mm. Ezekiel 28, 13 describes Lucifer as being the most beautiful cherub, the most beautiful of all God's creation. He was made of gold. He had gemstones built into him like the high priest, but he had musical instruments like horns and percussion and woodwinds built into his body, and he led his third of the angels, the choirs of heaven, to worship the Lord. But then pride set in, and there came the fall, ah, and pride, perversion of music. That's the word. Like, how did that happen? Pride. Absolutely. Pride's always the way. Music is so important, though, too. 
I believe because it can send us into so many different emotional states. Mm -hmm. I know that there, when I was younger, there were certain bands that I would listen to and the Holy Spirit was like, you can't listen to them anymore because it would bring on depression or bring on sorrow and these different things mm -hmm. because the way that music was designed to travel harmonically, how it can affect us and how yeah. those different spirits can attach themselves to these different transmissions. But it's so important that the music that we are listening to, that we're putting into our spirit, that's coming in through our, our ears into our spirit worships the Father. The intent of the origination of music was to worship Him. That's right. You should all honor God. And there, there's such an attack in the world of pastors, but also worship leaders. Mm. We have so many people, so many friends that have been in ministry that have fallen away or that get attacked. And, and you know what you're saying? I think Satan is so jealous of yep. those yes. that get to proclaim. That's right, because we took his position, right? but then that also becomes a prideful issue if that worship minister thinks that all that reverence is his, then the same fall can happen to him as it did to Lucifer, and, and we, we don't see, want that to happen And we to see us. that all the time, yeah. unfortunately. And it, there, there's a different call, I believe, to those who lead worship, yes. but there needs to also be a special protection around Amen. those. So people yes. say, pray for your pastor. Pray for your worship pastor yes. also, Absolutely. because there's jealousy and there's there's They're an leading the charge to war. That's what your job is, David. Amen. True. And someone else leading a charge, should I say, of worship wars would be the wonderful Harari family. They've been on our program before and they felt a call, this is so beautiful, to restore the gift of a harp to the temple and to worship. And you'll learn, and I, I don't want to give it away too soon, there, weren't just, there wasn't just one harp in temple worship, there were many. Here, the Harari family. Now let's go to the shop where the Harari's harps are fashioned. Mika, the craftsman, has spent countless hours creating masterpieces purchased by visiting tourists as well as dignitaries from around the world. Most recently, some of his harps have been created for use in the next temple. We asked both Mika and Shoshana to share with us how it all started. Many years before we came here, my wife asked me for a harp, to make a harp. And at the time we were traveling around and uh, it, I had a guitar shop in Southern California and she just wanted a harp. And uh, I just never made one until I was getting ready to make one in Vermont. We found an old uh, archaeology book and in the book there was a, a photograph of this cave drawing in Megiddo that showed a very primitive harp, very similar shape at least with this, and a little stick figure next to it playing the harp. And they say that by carbon dating that that drawing is 3,000 years old, which is the time of King David. Very interesting. So anyway, when he saw the picture, he said, ah, why should I make a harp from Europe or somewhere? I want to make a harp from Israel. That was the only thing. Really, we really had no idea that no one had done this in 2,000 years. We just thought we were going to make a harp and that's it. And uh, we were just lifted up and brought to Israel in 1982 and uh, that's where I made her her harp. But I guess God didn't need another harp maker there and he wanted somebody to bring the harp back to Israel, which hadn't been seen since uh, it was hung on the willows and uh, it's the national instrument of Israel. The secret of this harp 
is to play from your soul. It doesn't matter. I mean, I can play many songs and, you know, other people's songs and everything, and it's beautiful because, as you can see, anything you play on it is beautiful. You don't have to work really hard and you end up still sounding like an angel. <laughs> Just because the harp itself, the way it's constructed, it's not for your intelligence, it's not for your brain to be thinking, how are you holding your fingers? What's your technique? It's for what's in my soul. What do I wanna to say to the creator of the universe? What does he wanna to say to me? So when I personally play the harp, I do it with that intention to play for healing of the world, for uh, peace, um, at least in individual hearts, and for that people's hearts should open to uh, be more connected to God. No matter how connected you are, you can always be a little bit more connected. So this song is actually a very traditional uh, words that are taken from the Torah that basically are saying to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the English translation. It's really much deeper than that. But the real deep meaning is that you have to learn to respect yourself as the beautiful being that you've been created to be and that you can, if you respect who you are, then hopefully you'll also be able to celebrate the uniqueness of every human being on this earth in their beauty and wonderfulness. But actually, we're actually trying to make the harps for the next temple. We're very interested in the, the final temple. We make harps for the Mahon HaMikdash, the Temple Institute. And these are people who have dedicated their lives to creating, bringing back the vessels that will be in the temple. And the way they know it is through very deep research, especially in all the Jewish writings and everything else that they know. So I asked one time, how many harps do you need? Because, you know, we were making harps all the time for them. And the woman who runs it, she said, okay, we have actually enough of the big harps. We could have more of the small harps. Um, but right now we're ready to go. Like if the temple should pop up tomorrow, we can move in and start playing immediately. So we're trying to improve on them. In those days, they didn't have the materials we have now, the strings. So I wanted to make something not like that was made before, the Kinor and the Neville, but something that would be good for the next temple. Technically good, you know, could, could stay in tune, the strings are strong, and, and something that would have to be able to be played loud. Part of the temple services, which twice a day there were sacrifices, and there was never a sacrifice without somebody playing the harp. So there was a constant musical um, 
orchestra going through the temple twice, at least twice a day in big, in a big way, and then maybe through the day in other ways. In the, in the temples before, there was 4,000 harpists that played in the major holidays. And they say you could hear it down in Jericho when it was played on the Temple Mount. So the harp is always part of our, uh, our, part of our heritage, besides being our national instrument. So what I discovered was um, that if you play it any way that comes to you, it's going to be beautiful so you don't have to worry about that part. All you have to be concerned with is, do you hear the music? What do you hear in your own soul? There's something called the Shir Hadash. Did you ever hear of that? The Shir Hadash means the new song. It says, Shiru Ladanoi Shir Hadash, sing to God a new song. You've heard this before, I'm sure, yeah. It's pretty famous uh, passages. There's a few times it's mentioned. But what is a Shir Hadash? Is it just the song that nobody heard on the radio yet? Um, or is it the song of your personal soul? And that's what this harp does, is it allows you to go into that childlike, innocent state, which is very hard in a world that we have to be constantly um, on, on guard with, to go back into that childlike state so that you can open your heart and feel safe about it and let out the music that comes. And that in itself is part of the other part that is connected with it, which is healing. It's an instrument of great healing. I mean, the, uh, the example that's in the Bible is David coming to Saul, that Saul was very, he wasn't just mentally ill, he was really physically sick as well uh, from all his worry. What was he worried about? There's another guy out there who's really the king and I don't know who he is. So what does he do? He brings him in and sits at his feet and plays the harp and, and um, calms down his soul and heals him. My family, personally, um, my father was a Cohen, which means that all my relatives all the way back are, I am directly descended from Aaron. And these were the people who spent all their time in the temple. <laughs> so it's sort of the echo of that time is inside of me too. And I feel that just like the Kohanim in the old days were of service, I feel that that's sort of my purpose too, is to be of service in whatever way I can to bring the peace that Aaron always brought. That, that was his main um, attribute. He brought peace to people and to the world. It hasn't happened yet, but we were talking about starting a school to teach Levite children because everybody knows who they are right now. Like anybody who's a levy, they know that they're a levy. It's not like they're just getting it from, you know, their imagination. So these children, I have met families who've come into our store and there'll be like, you know, eight kids or something. And there'll be this two-year-old He's all the way down here and he reaches up his little hand and he just holds it like that. And he won't let it go, you know. And I say to the father, are you Levine by any chance? He said, yes, how did you know that? <laughs> so it's already there, the, um, the talent, I guess you could call it, through the DNA or something. And there will be a Levitical orchestra, but the other exciting news is at least what's written in the end of Isaiah, 
where it says that from the nations at the end, obviously, at the, the beginning of this new wonderful world that's coming, there will be um, people from the nations who will be chosen to be Levites among my Levites. That's what it says. So I believe that part of the Levitical orchestra will be people that God chooses from the nations who are not Levites by birth, but they are going to be brought in to do that kind of service and play with the musicians in the future. I think that was a major plot twist that all those harps you just saw are going to be used in the third temple until day 1260 when the abomination of desolation happens. That's another story. And if you want to learn more about prophecy, Mark Hitchcock's book, The End, we're giving it to you when you give us a donation. It's our gift of love to you. Also bookmarks that have prophetic scriptures are involved. Thank you very much. I have good news today. It ends well. He wins, we win. The end has so many ups and downs, but the good news is the Lord will return. And until that day, we hope to keep on keeping on getting this good news through the eyes of the Jews across the world. Even if we're not here anymore, social media will still be there and you can make this prophetic word continue to go out through your giving and your donations. It will make a difference for the rest of the world, rest of our time. Yes. And you guys have your own separate program, don't you? The Bearded Bible Bearded Brothers. Bearded 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 Bearded. The Beards, the Beards. And that is on social media, social right? Social media, we get a little unhinged, but that's okay. It's all about scripture. We love going into and scripture. And how can they find you? Levitt.com or hashtag Bearded Bible Brothers on any social media site and uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the cool ones will be there. So we have this, you're on here, you are teachers for this program yes. and you're all over social media. Yeah. So a lot of different venues that they can find you. And I just want to say also thank you for your insight through this series. So many more series to come, but let's tie up this program. Can you give us just a word? Well, this episode in particular about worship, I really focus on spiritual warfare and how worship is used in that capacity. You know the story in 2 Chronicles 20 with King Jehoshaphat, how he was cornered by armies of Moab and Edom and Ammon, and he was like, Lord, what do I do? He went before the Lord and he said, only you can defeat this enemy, Lord. I'm going to focus on you. And a word came through a descendant of Asaph the seer, the singing prophet, and said, the Lord's on your side. The battle is his. And so they sent the worshipers ahead into battle, and they sang, the Lord is good. His love endures forever. Not, oh, God, save us from the enemy. And <laughs> that the would Lord, have been me. That would yeah. have been me out there. Yeah. The Lord defeated them, the enemy. It was amazing. Yeah, gives me goosebumps. Yeah. It ends well. It ends well. And this is the last a teaching program in this series. We have another bonus program next week. Don't turn this program off next week. I mean, we have good <laughs> stuff for you. More to come. Congratulations on your official Thank spots you. here. We're glad that we're on the same, same uh, heartbeat and ministry with you. Time to end. Time to end. As we always say, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray, Pray for, for the, the peace of, of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Join us right now on our social media sites for exclusive content. Visit our website, levitt.com, for tour information, broadcast schedule, 
free monthly newsletter, and online store. Call us anytime at 1-800-WONDERS and ask about this week's resource. Our Jewish Roots is a presentation of Zola Levitt Ministries. Partner with us. As a 100% viewer-funded ministry, your gifts allow us to bring you our weekly television series, social media outlets, website, and other ministry endeavors. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. Thank you.